The reading this morning is from uh, the Gospel of John. We are in chapter 19. At the very end, we are reading from verse 38 through the end of the chapter 19, 42. So reading from verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid, because it was a Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. That is the word of the Lord. Well, this morning, um, we are obviously dealing with the burial of Jesus. But let me quote from uh, Reverend Alexander McLaren. He was a theologian back in the 19th century, some time back. He wrote about this passage. Any neglected duty puts a film between man and his savior. Any conscious neglect of duty piles up a wall between you and Christ. Well, last week I left you all with a question. A question was, is there something which you have been asked to do that is still left undone? The good news, if you like, is that this is not as complicated as one might think it is. But let us pray and let us take the message take a message from this short passage that we have in the Bible, that we will know more about what we need to do and what Jesus asks of us. Let us pray together. Our loving Father, we do come that you will indeed open our hearts and our minds to this message from this chapter, from this message and this few verses in the Bible. May we take it to heart. May we ponder it in our hearts and may we indeed change the things that need changing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, as uh, what we have read in the last few weeks, is now dead and formally he has been declared dead by even the soldiers that pierced his side. We are now reintroduced to two what we name as secret followers of Jesus. In verse 38, later Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. But with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. Well, who is this? Who is this Joseph then? Well, if we go to Matthew 27, we read, As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. And on in Luke 23, we're also told, 
Now, there was a man called Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. And on in Mark, in Mark 15, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, was boldly to, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. See, so we have here, seemingly, we have a man that is waiting for the kingdom of God, and he's also a prominent member, no less, of the temple leadership. And indeed, so was his compatriot, Nicodemus. In verse 39, he was accompanied by Nicodemus, a man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. And Nicodemus had brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Well, here we have a couple of men that, on the face of it, understand who Jesus is, and by all accounts, wants also to be his disciples, except for some complications in maybe their hearts, being that they are members of the Sanhedrin. Well, let me say immediately that we have no further information on either of these two men anywhere in the New Testament, or indeed any involvement that they may have had with the gospel of Jesus Christ post this time. Joseph had certainly disagreed with the conviction and the killing of Jesus but he hadn't actually spoken up in defense as such. And we know that Nicodemus, he, well, he had come to Jesus at night purely for the fact that he was fearful of being seen in the company of Jesus by the Sanhedrin, by the Pharisees. It's almost, it's almost as these two men are having a two-way bet on their salvation. Well, we're told about him in John 12 as well. In verse 42, we can read, Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in Jesus because, because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. But they loved human praise more than the praise from God. I'm by no means saying that... Uh, these two men are not amongst the saved, but I'm also not saying that they are saved. But thankfully, that's not a judgment that we can or even need to make. But to make sense out of this passage, we need to have a look at it. What I can say with confidence, however, is that these two men were secret disciples at best. And as Alexander McLaren wrote, any neglected duty puts a film between man and his savior, but any conscious neglect of duty piles up this wall between man and Christ. It is worth noting the distinction that Alexander makes between a man and his savior and between the other man and Christ. See, one man has a savior whereas the second does not. The first man just hasn't done it. He just has left things undone. But the second man has a conscious decision not to do anything. 
in some ways, this, this sadly also expands on the question we had last week, doesn't it not? Is what we have left undone, is that an unintentional or an intentional decision we made? Again, this is a question that is between you and Jesus. We don't need to know, but Jesus already knows the answer. See, in Luke 16, 15, we are taught by Jesus. There are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. See, he knows everything we think. He knows how we feel. He knows our decisions. He knows how we live. There is, of course, the issue of where are the disciples in all of this? We've been reading about two uh, secret disciples that have been coming to take to Jesus' body and, and indeed care for it. But where, where is the men that followed Jesus for three years? Where are they all? At least these two men were there to take care of the body of our Lord Jesus. And they had to some extent also been courageous as the Pharisees, of course, would likely have heard or seen them doing what they were doing. And I actually think this says more, this action says more about the lack of care from the disciples than it actually speaks of the true faith of these two men. This could be a fearful example indeed on how close these two men are to the true followers of Jesus, but with no real certainty of actually having a saving faith. Are they really genuine witnesses for Christ, or are they doing just good deeds in the hope that this may be part of their salvation? This is truly also a quandary a lot of people struggle with, even in our churches. We know that. It is not often spoken about, but we should be aware of our lives. It, basically, our lives shows who we are, and it comes out in the fruits of the Spirit. It is in how we respond to the guiding of him in our daily lives. We are guided by his Spirit, but do we adhere? Do we listen? Do we act? Jesus had warned a disciple about such men. In Matthew seven fifteen, he wrote, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Well, maybe we should even add to that lack of good fruit. Joseph and Nicodemus certainly know what the Jewish customs and the rituals are when it comes to burials and those things. In verse 40, we are reading about it. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. The really important aspect maybe of this is that these two men could have been able to publicly certify that Jesus was in fact dead and had been buried according to Jewish customs and rules. So when we get to verse 41, 
at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden was a new tomb, which had not ever been laid. Since it was Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. But see, in, in the background of all this, while well, all these things are happening, and uh, these two men are taking care of this, the body of Jesus, all this working in the background, the temple leaders, again, were fearful. In Matthew 27, 62 on, we read, the next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priest and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, remember that while he was still alive, the deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Well, just, just maybe the Pharisees recalled what we also read this morning in, in Isaiah 53.11. After he had suffered, he will see the day of light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Well, Pilate tells them, take a guard, go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Let me, let me come back to Joseph and Nicodemus here. Much to their shame, neither of them had, during the ministry of Jesus for the three years he walked amongst them, Neither of them had confessed openly to be his followers. But the gruesome death on the cross, which had, they had not consented to, I'll admit, but that must have changed something in their hearts, as they now seem to be willing to openly, openly show their devotion to Jesus. Well, they aren't that different, are they, from most people? For some of us, it just takes a lot more to wake us up and recognize who Jesus is so that we in turn also recognize ourselves and who we are in light of the gospel. And we recognize our sinfulness, bring us to do what is indeed right, which is repenting and openly declaring Jesus to be our savior without fear. Just recall what Paul writes in Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, again, we have no way of knowing where the disciples were at this time, other than none of them are seen or heard of to take care of the remains, the body of their Lord and Savior. We could maybe even ask if this was an unintentional issue or indeed an intentional problem for them. And of course, we have no answer to that. What you and I do, however, is to take a closer look at ourselves. Let's not focus on the disciples and what they did not do. Let's see what we do. 
If we are wanting to have a bigger and a greater incentive to act on our knowledge of Jesus Christ and openly and freely declare our love for him, God's plan just keeps on moving ahead. Jesus is where he is. He's been killed on the cross. He's been buried. All the suffering and the cruel death was behind him. And he's now being cared for by people who had both the ability, but also the means to care for him. And we have that also in Isaiah 53 verse 9. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but with the rich in his death. The rich, that is Joseph, Nicodemus, they were rich. They were the rich people of the time. They cared for him. It was Joseph that had placed Jesus in the tomb. He indeed had prepared for himself. Is there one thing we need to ponder deeply in our hearts? Maybe it's this. The Christ, the Christ you are asked to follow is not the humiliated Jewish preacher, but he's the Lord of glory. If you think a little deeper, in fact, he does not merely ask you to come to him. Jesus commands you to come to him. Jesus tells you to turn from your sin and come to him openly for salvation. The thing we got to ask and answer is, have we all done that? Have all this taken place in our hearts? Has your heart openly declared the Lord Jesus to be your Savior? And considering what we know from Romans 5.8, that he died for you while you were still a sinner, does that not move you to intentionally show that you love him in all that you do and how you live? I guess we all at some time may have held back maybe even at times questioned if we indeed are the followers of Jesus Christ, as we should be. But again, just as Joseph and Nicodemus changed and they did come forward, see, so can you and I. Jesus died for you. Jesus paid the price for your sins. Jesus bore the anguish of the cross for your salvation. How can you then not love him? How can you indeed fail to love him? And if you do love him with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your soul, with all your mind, how can we then fail to openly confess Jesus as a Lord and Savior? Let me close with a reading from Revelation 22. The spirit and the bride says, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. We need to ponder in our hearts the question, what is our life today? Is it an unintentional day-to-day, -day, or are we intentional about our worship, our love of God and the love of the Son. May he give you great wisdom and may he stir your hearts 
and guide you. Let us pray. Our loving Father, we do come before you to thank you for this passage. Thank you for a reminder, Lord, a reminder that we need to think deeply about our lives in how we respond to the guiding of your Holy Spirit that you so lovingly placed in our hearts. We pray, Lord, that tomorrow I will live a life much better than the one I lived yesterday and today. Be with us, guide us, and indeed bless us, Lord. And may we come together again into a close fellowship within our churches, that we may love together, that we may support each other, and that we may indeed show the world openly and freely that we are followers and disciples of your Son, Jesus Christ. This we pray in his name. Amen.